Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie. Low cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Dublin's Talking Sports. Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Morning, Reg. How are you? Ah, never better now. Never better. There's a whole lot of Americans in town, Ken. Place is flooded. <laughs> place is absolutely flooded with them at the moment but um, yeah 40,000 they reckon in town as I was coming in this morning uh, just coming over the East Link um, I could see this big naval ship in the distance uh, massive big thing it looks great yeah amazing yeah I'd be great for the city you know uh, Notre Dame against Navy and the, and the Aviva it'd be a great, uh, a great event and it's great to see so many many Americans over as well. I'm sure they're going to have a great time in Dublin over the weekend. It's out there, whatever the score will be. Absolutely, no question about that. They'll, uh, <laughs> they'll they'll be rocking the place. We just have to keep them all safe. But in fairness, there's safety in numbers, and there's enough of them here. I don't think there'll be yeah. too many lads trying to go near them this weekend. So uh, <laughs> yeah, they'll be safe enough, and those navy lads definitely will be safe enough. Um, yeah, should going to the game? I'm not going. No, I'm not going. I'm, I, uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I kind of missed it. Uh, the whole build up to it, and then I said to myself, "No, I'll leave it and watch the Irish match instead later on because uh, I've uh, a bit more interest in that." But um, what about South Africa? beat New Zealand absolutely hammering them unbelievable result it was funny because yeah. before the game uh, they were talking uh, about the fact that you know we're number one and if New Zealand bet South Africa by more than 14 points we were going to lose our number one slot and all this kind of stuff and it was a bit of a foregone, con- foregone conclusion the, yeah. bu- the bookies were given a 14 point spread um, uh, minus 14 for uh, New Zealand and uh, they, like everyone was saying this was going to be a New Zealand win foregone but uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I tell you one thing: South Africa laid down a bit of a marker and a bit of trouble as well for New Zealand because uh, Scott Barrett got red carded. There'll be a disciplinary hearing over that. Um, the standard now seems to be three matches. That seems to be what's going mm. around. So, uh, but it could be longer, and um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. So that's a bit of a disaster for them as well. Just yeah. with the World Cup around the corner because this is the last round of warm-up matches for teams. Um, yeah, so it's a big result, South Africa. And yeah. uh, unfortunately for us, Ken, we have South <laughs> Africa, so that's not great. <laughs> no, no, on no. our side of the draw. Yeah. yeah. What about Samoa? Uh, Samoa tonight yeah well funnily enough they've improved a lot in recent times Um, they kind of have revamped efforts to get players back that would have been overseas and things like that but they have a few injuries and a few people missing and kind of a few disciplinary issues as well Uh, I don't see them posing any trouble as such to us but uh, they are always incredibly physical one of the most physical yeah. games you ever play is against the uh, Pacific Island teams and uh, they'll be so <laughs> I just want to get through this match 
no injuries. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. what you're thinking about. <laughs> because it was great news during the week. I'll be talking to Rory O'Connor about it a little bit later on, but great news from Andy Farrell talking about um, our hooker status and yeah, she in and foot injuries and various injuries that we were concerned about, but they seem to be okay. So um, mm. that's that's good news for us. So we'll see what good happens news. with that. Yeah. Tell me about the snooker. You got a bit unlucky during the week. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, 5-3. It was quite close. Uh, made a century. I, played, I didn't play too bad. I played against that young guy who got the semi-final of the World Championship, CJ Wee. Yeah. Uh, really good, young, up-and-coming player. You know, he's going to be a big star. You know, he's already, like, you know, marked his, uh, his name with that wonderful run to the semi-final. Should have got to the final, really. He was 14-5 up and... And lost eventually seven and sixteen, but yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, mm. but I just uh, came up a little bit short, five three in the end, very very close. Yeah, there wasn't much in it, all right. It could have gone mm-hmm. uh, anyway. But uh, how's your game going at the moment? You're happy with where yeah, you're it's playing? Yeah, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Uh, a little bit rusty, maybe. But we got a, a batch of uh, qualifiers coming up. One for um, the English Open and the beginning of September. One for Wuhan in right. China. And uh, then another one for the international championship that's in another city in China. So three big uh, matches. And then the British Open, who I'm drawn against my old uh, sort of foe, uh, Matthew Stevens, and the British Open, which is on ITV. That would be the first televised one. That's at the uh, that's on the 25th of September. Um, so that'd be the first one uh, on TV over here. So that'd be that'd be really good. So I'm looking forward to that. And the semi-finals, of course, are coming up in Nuremberg. Who have we got? They in? are, yeah. They've got a great lineup, actually. You know, uh, the only one who's probably missing is the world champion, uh, Luca Bissell. He was beaten by Barry Hawkins in the quarterfinals. So it's Barry Hawkins against Max Selby in one half. And then you've got Judd Trump playing John Higgins in the other half. Judd Trump, it was 4-0 down to Chris Wakeland in one of his matches, earlier matches, came back to win 5-4. And he's uh, he's still in the tournament. He's playing John Higgins. He's playing really, really well at the moment. Actually, I fancy John Higgins. Uh, I think he'll come through that and maybe win the tournament. He's playing the best of the world, but you just never know. But a great lineup, so it's uh, it's on Eurosport and uh, yeah, starts. Uh, I think it's uh, two o'clock today. Is the first semi final. John Higgins is incredible. Like, he, yeah. he astonishes me. I mean, he's you know getting on a bit, but uh, mm. he plays. His consistency is incredible. Playing with the younger yeah. lads, it doesn't seem to phase him at all, and he's always there thereabouts. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's fantastic. You know, he's won the World Championship, what, four times. And I think he's been beaten in five finals. Hmm. Uh, you know, but his, his consistency, as you say, he's still at the top of his game. He's 47 now, you know, which is uh, incredible, as it is. He's getting older. I mean, that triumvirate of, of Sullivan, Williams and, and Higgins, uh, probably never see the likes again. You know, incredible how consistent, even late into the 40s, they're still playing at the, at the very, very top levels. It's yeah. so difficult to deal with. Uh, but they've been uh, incredible for the last 40 years of being a pro, I think. Yeah, and, then, and, and and no sign of him slowing up. That's the most no. amazing thing. And I like yeah. it's not, and it's not an easy. You know, you know, you you tell me about it being on the circuit. It's not a, it's not an easy grind. You it's know, not easy. It's not an easy grind. They've, they've got to practice a lot every day. It's a lot of dedication every single day of, of practice and keeping their eye in. And also, just sort of the mental is, is exertion as well. Okay, it's not physical sport, but uh, it's the mental exertion uh, that sort of wears you down. You know, and as you get older, Reggie. As we both know, the concentration levels are about as good as they used to be. Absolutely. Uh, but he, he seems to be able to cope with it very, very well. And uh, yeah, brilliant. Mm. Magnificent ambassador. Fair play to him. Tell me, have you been able to get a glimpse of any of the World uh, Athletics Championships? 
I didn't see much of it. I've been sort of watching uh, a little bit more of the golf than the athletics, but now I'm just sort of following a few of the results. Uh, it's been it's a been pretty good week, yeah, it has to be said. Yeah. You know, we saw uh, Sarah Lavin getting a fourth place in the hurdles and uh, beating Daryl O'Rourke's long-time record, which was quite an, mm. quite an incredible achievement. She was absolutely delighted, uh, and rightly so, in her interview uh, afterwards. Um you know, it, it's, it, it was it was a really, really, really good performance getting fourth, and again, um, yeah. Rashid Adeleke as well got fourth in oh, the four hundreds, and it's heartbreaking, you know, because they're they're yeah. so close to the medals. But uh, she's only twenty years of age, as well. So I mean, o- overall, it's been uh, fantastic results, really. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know, as you said, they're so young, so there's, there's plenty of. Uh, years in the tank there for both of them and I'm sure they, they've been great representatives for Ireland already you know and I'm sure future championships uh, those medals will definitely come you know Yeah I mean uh, Kieran McGee as well had a decent enough uh, outing and um, mm. You'd have to say that uh, overall, I think our, our Irish athletics is in an, an amazing place. Brian, it's in a, it's in a, yeah. yeah, it really is. Brian out. Gregan is going to be talking to me um, uh, a little bit later on the show as well, 400 metre uh, medalist and sprinter, uh, to give us his thoughts on it too. But I mean, it is great just to see. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to be interested to talk to him about. We, we, remember, we were talking before to some people from Athletics Ireland, and we were talking about the whole COVID thing, and a lot of athletes mm. were taking it as an opportunity. To to, to build up their strength and work on their form, uh, you know, and get the the rest that they needed in between events, and now they could build it up. So it's interesting to see if he thinks that that's going to be part of the reason that we're doing so well. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting question, all right. But it's great to see that, as you said, uh, a lot of great grass uh, shoots for the for the future mm. with. Uh, that was a wonderful athlete that you mentioned. Absolutely. Oh, okay, mm. I have to bring it up. Last week, the thorny subject, Spurs did a job on you. Oh, they were brutal. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. You know, they were just terrible. Absolutely yeah. terrible. You know, and uh, they just ran out of steam. And I was saying with Wolves, it's a bad start to the season for them, to be honest. You know, and I know they have Forrest at home today, Reg, but Forrest won the first match against Sheffield. They, uh, they lost to Arsenal, sorry, in the first match. They beat Sheffield United. Uh, and they only lost 2-1 to Arsenal. So, you know, you would think it's going to be a pushover at, uh, at Old Trafford. Well, I can't say it's going to be a pushover at all. It's, and after the result against Moors, you know, it's like with a lot of stick that the players came in for. They need a reaction. Mm. Uh, and they need it very, very quickly. Uh, and uh, hopefully they will, they will get one today. But, but uh, Nottingham Forest will, will prove a little bit of a test for them. They will, absolutely. It's funny, uh, mm. in the paper this morning, James uh, Ducker is writing in the Irish Independent and he says the headline is only two games in, but United already in a powder keg. Um, yeah. Problems on and off the pitch. Uh, Tan Hag being left in a tough spot. Um, it's very early for that kind of conversation, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah. I mean, they got off to a terrible start last season. You know, losing, the, you know, they lost to Brighton at home. And then they lost four and to Brentford away, you know. But they sort of turned around. They beat Liverpool in the next match. Uh, and it's only a matter of time. He's got a good squad, but he probably uh, he could deal with that centre-forward. I don't know whether he's going to start or he's going to play some sort of part today. Rasmus Hoyland that he brought in, uh, he's been injured for the first couple of games. Rashford doesn't look happy at centre-forward. He's more or less more happier on the on the left wing. Uh, so that would help. But he wants to bring in maybe another forward and, and uh, definitely that uh, Moroccan midfielder as well. He could do with both in the midfield. Mason Mount is injured. He's going to be out. 
until after the international break, maybe for four games. So that's a big blow as well, even though he hasn't started well. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions to be asked. And uh, they have to come out and, and show the fans something today without a shadow of a doubt. I know it's early in the season, but yeah, they have to come out really quickly today. Yeah, absolutely. When you mentioned the golf there, I haven't had a chance to watch any. You've been following it. Um, yeah, it's Rory's been really at good. 10 under, I think, isn't he? 10 under, yeah. He, he sort of came back after sort of a poor force round, but he's got himself back in the hunt. He's still six shots behind, but, uh, you know, he, he's given himself a chance. I think he had a sort of a little bit of a, a, a twinge in his back, thrown his, his young girl into the swimming pool, messing with her. He sort of had a little bit of a twinge, so he was struggling a little bit in the fourth round, but a really good sort of second round. Gets him back into the hunt, but he's still six behind. Hovland uh, is continuing his great run. He's after having a great run, run isn't he? What, what an amazing last round. Yeah. 61 uh, uh, last week to win and, and beat Scheffler. Uh, and he's, he's continuing on. He's 16 under now. Marikawa is up there as well, 16 under. Scheffler is there. He's two behind. So it's really uh, hot and up, and it's 18 million for the winner, Red. Ah, sure, that's nothing. Just, a, just a drop, 18. A drop in the ocean. <laughs> Whether they like it or not. <laughs> yeah, it's getting... Uh, uh, I think uh, they'll, they'll... For all the giving out they did, they'll have to start thanking Liv soon enough because... Uh, I think so, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> yeah. prizes are just getting um, out of control. 18 million. Boy, 18 God. million. We're waiting for Liv to take over soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, as soon as they do, I've been writing your bag. I've been writing to them for the last six months. I've got no reply. <laughs> we're going to start... We're going to introduce caddies into snooker when that happens and I'm going to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. What else have you got planned for the rest of the um, week? Nothing. I'm just back over. Uh, I'm back over in the UK. But a little story about a couple of likely lads at the, at the garage yesterday before I got on the on the boat back to England. Saying they love listening in, but only for the racing tips. Rich. Nothing to do with you or me. But they're listening. We're talking back on it. Welcome back to Dublin's Talking Sport on Sunshine 106.8 with thanks to insuremyvan.ie. Yeah, Declan Drake with you with your roundup of GAA in the capital, the home of the double All-Ireland champions in 2023. What a sweet sound that is this Saturday morning. Coming up on the show, we have a look at the various go-ahead Dublin Senior Championship across all four codes. Before that, though, we reference back to that wonderful All-Ireland double for the Blues. Two of the main contributors to the wins over Kerry in their respective finals were honoured during the week. Congratulations to Kilmacud Croaksman Paul Mannion and Hannah Tyrrell of Nafina on their selection as the WPC GPA Players of the Month for August. Mannion contributing five points in the men's victory over Kerry, while Tyrrell went three better a fortnight later against the Kingdom Ladies as Dublin recorded their sixth TG Carr All-Ireland success. So well-earned individual honours there for both players. The go-ahead Dublin Senior 1 Hurling Championship resumed last Friday night after its mini-break. Nafina kick-starting the third-round group of games with a convincing win over Oliver Plunkett's own Rua, which we discussed on the programme here last Saturday morning. In the same group, which is Group 2, Ballyboden St. Enders had little difficulty in accounting for their neighbours Fogs, 5.21 to 1.11, the full-time score on that one. So the Division 1 Adult Hurling League champions from the Fairhouse Road are motoring nicely. In Group 1, the defending county champions Kilmacud Croaks were 9-point winners over Whitehall Column Kill, 225-216, that one ended. While Luke and Sars, well they come to their fine championship run under Charlie Carter, making it 3-from-3 three three by edging out Kula. 
123 to 121 in the other game in that group. Meanwhile, the Senior 2 Championship over the weekend saw victories for Castleknock, Crave Caron, Nafionbara and Ballyboden St. Enders. Switching now then to football and we have no fewer than eight games down for decision in the second series of the 2023 Championship. Holders Kilmacud Croaks have a Parnell Park date tomorrow afternoon with Castle Knock. That one scheduled for a four o'clock start in Group 2. And the curtain raiser at county headquarters is the meeting of Northside duo Skerry's Harps and St. Sylvester's uh, 2 p.m. start in that particular game. Meanwhile, both Group 1 games are scheduled to take place this afternoon at Crumlin's O'Toole Park. First up in the double header from 3.30 is the clash of Ballantyre St. John's and Ballyboden St. Enders. Following that, it's the Cross Liffey meeting of Ballymun Kickham's and Tempelog Sing Street and the action getting underway in that one at 5.30. Group 3 also has two games. Thomas Davis face Rohini this evening at Parnell Park from half past three, while Luke and Sars go head-to-head with Kula tomorrow at Atul Park in Crumlin. 4pm is your throw-in time for that one if you're travelling from Lucan or indeed from Dawkey. Finally to Group 4 in this and near neighbours Whitehall, Cullum Kill and Nafina square off in the nail from half past three with the group's other game between St Jude's and St Vincent's down for decision at O'Toole Park from two o'clock. So plenty of opportunities across both venues this weekend to see Dublin All-Ireland winning heroes in action with their respective clubs. Switching to the Ladies Club Championship now, which got underway on Wednesday night across the county. Defending county and provincial queens, Kilmacud Croaks and last year's beaten Dublin finalist Thomas Davis both opened their accounts with wins. Croaks defeating Ballyboden St. Enders 2-12-1-7, while the Kiltipper Road ladies of Thomas Davis made the trip back across the M50 from St. Bridget's after recording a 3-15-1-5 success. Elsewhere, Clontarf enjoyed a 2.13-1.10 success over Castle Knock in Group A, while in Group B, Foxrock Cabin Teeley opened their championship campaign with a fine victory over Kula at 3.11-1.2. It finished there at the expense of the ladies from Dockey. Next week's fixtures can be seen on the Dublin Ladies Gaelic Football website scheduled to take place on Wednesday evening. Finally, in terms of Dublin Club Championship to Camogie, and that gets underway tomorrow. Defending champions in this competition are St. Vincent's. They start away to Luke and Sars in the morning from half past ten. Elsewhere in the competition, Nafina uh, have a home date with Ballybutton A at 10.15, while the other game taking place in the competition in the morning is Ballantyre St. John's A versus Castleknock A. The very best of luck to all the teams participating in that particular competition as well. 
Finally, this week on the programme to an inter-county game of note taking place this afternoon. The Dublin Masters footballers taking on Tyrone in the semi-final of the Dr Mickey Loftus Cup. The game with the red hand of Tyrone takes place at Kingspan Brefney Park from 2 o'clock this afternoon. So the very best of luck indeed as well to the players and the management in their endeavours in that one. So that's just about it for GAA with Declan Drake this week on the programme. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Uh, We will be back next week around the same time with a full review of the Senior Football Championship action this week. And once again, a final reminder to get out to either O'Toole Park or Parnell Park over the course of the weekend to see your All-Ireland winning heroes in action. It's time now for athletics and it's been a pretty exciting World Championship so far and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by 400 metre sprinter Brian Gregan. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Good, good. I'm sure like everybody else, you're uh, thoroughly enjoying everything that's going on in Budapest at the moment. Um, An exciting week, no doubt about it. Uh, What what have you made of the game so far? I think it's been a a really good World Championship for the team. Um, Paul McNamara, the the high performance director, had set out a, a target beforehand of two top eights and ten top 24s, and they're pretty much on the money with that so far. So three top eights and and about eight or nine top 24s with the relay team, the women's four by four to go today. Um, so it's been a good championship. The profile of the team is quite young, so we're going to see these stars on the the TV for the next couple of years and run into the the Paris Games. And obviously then we had Rashida and Kira um, both coming forth. So it's been a really, really exciting performance from an Irish point of view. You have to remember, we've only ever won six medals since the, the World Championship started in 1983. So winning a medal for Ireland is a really, really difficult thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned uh, Rashida Adeleke. I see news uh, emerging this morning that she just won't make the final of the 4x4 four four, uh, relay injury or fatigue probably, uh, to be more correct, catching up with her at this stage. So that's a bit disappointing. Um, yeah, like it is, of course. Like You want to have your best athletes out there for every race, but I can, I can understand that it's been a long year for Rashid. I think um, something like 35 races this year, and I think about 20 of them being 400. That is a lot of races. With the you know the best athletes in the world, really only run about 10 400s in a year. Mm. Um, so really fatiguing. And obviously then the switch from collegiate to pro that would have taken you know its toll as well. So I can understand it, but you know disappointing from. The, the girls' point of view because they have quite a strong 4x4 out there and they'll obviously want to, to, to make a final but it's going to be difficult without Rashida but the, the girls will still put up a good fight. And tell me, you were a you know, 400 metre sprinter yourself uh, you'd have good insight into this. The World Championships must be um, the pinnacle that they're aiming towards. Why, why was she so fatigued? Like, is it not better ways to manage it that there would be uh, she'd be in better shape for the championships? Um, yeah, I, I completely understand your point. Um, because she's in college in the States, now she's obviously a pro now, they have obligations. So okay. they have to run for the college. So she's running probably three races every weekend, basically since January. Wow. So indoors into outdoors. And then she starts her outdoor season in March and April. Versus a pro athlete who 
might skip indoors and they might only start their season in May and run a handful of races gearing up for the World Championships. So their emphasis is very much on um, training and peaking at the Championships, while obviously Rashida's goal would have been the NCAA um, Championships. So the obligations to the school... Um, mean she's running, you know, probably 30 mm. races before she actually gets into the, the protein. Absolutely. Okay. I, I get what you're saying. I understand now. Um, and again, in the life of a sprinter at 20 years old, um, they probably mature a little bit later than other athletes. Would it be fair to say that she's really only just beginning her journey? Oh, absolutely. Like, she's only really is the first full year of her training as a 400 meter sprinter. So, Johnson. Just seem to have lost Brian there for a moment. We'll just see if we uh, can get him back. Uh, the point uh, just being made there about uh, Rashid Adelaki um, yeah, being so young, 20 years of age. And uh, as Brian was just saying, I think we may have him back now. Um, are you there, Brian? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, sorry, apologies. Just lost you there for a second. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, Rashida's uh, age and uh, the fact that, you know, she's only 20 and still a lot ahead of her. Yeah, I'm just saying the the world record set by Michael Johnson set at 32 years of age, and Rashida's only 20. There is plenty of running, and every single year you're learning the event. The 400 meters is a a really tricky event. It's speed, it's it's endurance, it's strength, it's lactic tolerance. So it takes a lot to master it, and she's only really in her first year doing it. So running 49.2 um, at that age is really extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you think she's handling all of the hype? I mean, there's no question about it. There's been a lot of uh, responsibility put on her shoulders. The other athletes, we'll get to them in a moment as well, but uh, in particular, um, Rashid has become the sort of poster girl at the moment and all the talk is around her. Is, is that kind of pressure manageable for her? Yeah, I think, I think the fact that she's based out of the state so much she's well insulated from the kind of hype mm. but I suppose when you come back to national championships and then obviously going to world championships she's quite relaxed you know she's a, she's a, a she's only 20 but she's quite mature um, I think you know you never not let it affect you so I'm sure she thought about it and she realises that the, the whole country is watching her but again I think she's probably using that as um, you know, fuel for the fire to, to help her perform at a, at a higher level coming into to Paris next year. Excellent stuff. Okay, well, uh, we mentioned there's been good results all week. Sarah Lavin um, smashed Dervla Rourke's record, long-standing record, it has to be said. It even apologised to Dervla in an interview afterwards. I saw her uh, saying sorry, but I doubt she meant it too much. An incredible performance for the hurdler. Yeah, no, Sarah ran so well. I was delighted for 12.62 to break Derville's 12.65 and, and Derville was fourth in those championships in 2009 so a big achievement for Sarah and again it's just the, the women's hurdling is at all time high right now the world record last year at 12.12 seconds and just the the quality and depth is, is so hard so Sarah is sniffing around that level of a, a world Olympic final with her 12.6 start looking at, at finals but no doubt she's full of it. Um, really incredible championships and a really incredible year for, for Sarah this year. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. And, uh, you know, across the board, you mentioned that the team are, are looking well. Um, what, what else have we got to look forward to from the Irish team perspective? 
Yeah, so um, we have the women's mix, or sorry, we have the women's 4x4s on um, this evening. So looking forward, that's the final event of the, the Irish team. But again, the, throughout the championships, we had our mixed relay. We're six in the world, and they've been into two world finals and an Olympic final. Um, obviously, Kira McGeen, um, absolutely incredible. She couldn't have, she basically did nothing wrong the greatest runner oh, no. ever in fake had a really good championship season's best national records um, and I think this is really going to drive everyone on towards um, Paris where the levels will go up again next year Absolutely. Okay. You know, all the talk at the moment is about how how good Irish athletics is doing and the fact that, you know, again, two fourth place is quite incredible in in the world for such a small country. What what are we putting that down to at the moment? I mean, where where is that coming from? I mean, I mentioned before in the show this morning that I'd spoken um, last year, we were talking about uh, Irish athletics and where it's gotten and and around COVID. And in fact, um, at the time, the feeling was that COVID was a good thing in many ways because it gave a lot of athletes an opportunity to, to maybe work on their strength training and their own technique and train on their own. Are we seeing the benefits of that now, do you think? Or? Yeah, I think I think we're starting to really improve now. A big thing is facility-wise, we have really improved. So I don't know if you've been out to Blanchardstown recently to the National Indoor Arena or to the Sport Ireland Institute. So we have incredible facilities we have incredible support staff. So we have physios, psychologists, doctors. Um, it's really, really improving in that sense. Um, however, we're still lacking with professional coaches. We don't have a single professional um, sprint coach in Ireland. Okay, So our top athletes are doing it with volunteer coaches. The, the, the best are going to the UK and the States to get coached by um, full-time, uh, full-time coaches. Mm. So we are seeing big improvements with facilities and all the stuff that goes around that with the support staff, the funding. But we're still kind of just lacking with behind with the, the coaching side of things. And I think when we get that right, I think that's when we'll really see... Um, a real jump in, in performances in Irish athletics. And, you know, these results, do you think that will be the catalyst for that professional coaching to be brought in? I mean, it seems uh, to, to someone like me now who's on the outside looking in, I find it quite incredible to hear you saying that when we're putting sprinters um, so close to the podium and athletes competing so well. I, I, I find it amazing that you're telling me that there isn't a professional coach there. Yeah, um, I think once that comes in you will see the, the improvements and that comes down to funding as well so like in football the top coaches are going to want to be paid well so you have to, to pay them well to attract them to come to Ireland so funding will be a huge thing but I think coaches will be looking and seeing the talent inside Ireland and wanting to, to, to coach that so I think putting the funding in there and giving incentives, especially to young coaches that are up and coming, that yes, there is a career path there for you. If you, you know, do your sports science degree and get your coaching qualifications, you can be a national coach for athletics. And I think we are doing really well with all our courses in, in college with sports science, and we've seen the improvements with strength and conditioning training, and we've seen the physio support and psychology in Ireland. The really last part of the puzzle is putting in professional coaches into Ireland, and when that comes. I think you'll really see 
the, the improvement in um, Irish athletics. There's no doubt about it. The excitement levels are starting to build for the World Cup. Nobody is talking about anything else at this stage except squad selections. Who will be the first choice? Injuries, will they all make it on time uh, for the big clash? And indeed, how the other teams are shaping up. And um, no doubt about it, last night was another indication that this World Cup is uh, probably the most open World Cup we've seen for many a year with uh, South Africa putting New Zealand to the sword. I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by Irish Independent uh, writer Rory O'Connor. Good morning, Rory. How are you? Hey, Reggie. Very well, thank you. Good. Great to hear from you. Great to chat to you. Um, I have to say, pre-game, I was feeling that uh, the All Blacks were going to do a bit of a job on South Africa. When I say a job, I thought they'd probably beat them by between sort of you know seven to ten points. I think the bookies had them at about uh, minus fourteen, and uh, South Africa had different ideas, and they turned the whole thing on their head, its head, and pretty much obliterated the All Blacks something you don't ever see Yeah I would disagree with you I, I think this All Blacks team is fairly overrated and I think the rugby championship was quite poor this year so their wins in that tournament kind of flattered them a little bit especially like Argentina and Australia were very poor against them um, and then South Africa didn't play when they played in New Zealand They, I'm not sure what was going on that day what, what kind of training they were doing but they just didn't perform so the box saw an opportunity to do damage to one of their big rivals last night and my God did they do damage you know that's a, on par with Ireland losing by 50 points over Twickenham before the last World Cup for the All Blacks you know it's mm. a real reality check for them because you know they, they kind of regained their confidence after losing to Ireland in that series and I'm in Dublin and losing to France in Paris you know losing a lead against England at Twickenham and having to draw and then it, it gets shattered in, in one night in Twickenham like taking that fixture was very dangerous for both teams mm. and South Africa used it as an opportunity and you know obviously Ireland have to play them in their pool in four weeks time that's a pretty I'm sure Andy Farrell was gulping as he <laughs> consumed it over here in Biritz but I don't know if it is the most open World Cup I think it's actually three teams that can win it now and it's Ireland, South Africa and France yeah, well, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't agree. I, I wouldn't write off uh, the All Blacks just yet. I mean, um, I agree. It was a bit of a shock last night. There's no question about that. Uh, they're not the team they once were. There's no question about no. that either. But I just feel the South African team, as you as you mentioned in in, in your piece, they're uh, talking. They're a bit hot and cold at times, you know. And if you sure. um, if you get into their heads and if you make them doubt, uh, they're they're vulnerable. Now, I mean, that being said they weren't vulnerable last night and uh, they did a hell of a job on New Zealand but I know the way New Zealand are and the timing of this you know just before the World Cup for New Zealand they will they'll have got they'll go back after this and this will be you know this will hurt beyond belief and they'll be going out now in every single match to prove a point let's say um, mm. you know in some ways it might be the best thing that ever happened in New Zealand because this is a nothing match that means nothing really you know uh, the World Cup is what it's all about so I, I no, that's, true. that's true like to play five for two weeks time and, and mm. I could eat my words very you know I, I, I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I'm very open to being wrong about these things. Yeah. But I just think the cycle. This team, they're just. I know, like you know, Scott Barrett maybe suspended now. He's become quite an important player for them. The, you know, the Shannon Frizzell is an injury over. He's been quite important to the way they've developed in the last year. You know, I just. I don't think they're as good as, as you say, they're not as good as they were. Mm. And, and the France, France are better than South Africa. So, yeah. you know, France at home 
we're looking to make their own statement. Now, look, they'll get out of the pool. They could be playing Ireland in the quarterfinal. We see what sort of shape Ireland are in by then, or Scotland or South Africa, whoever's there. Like, obviously, they could make a run at this. And teams like New England got to a final in 07 and came close to winning with a poor enough team. So, things, strange things happen at World Cups, and the draw is, is, is very lopsided, as, as we know. So, But I just think, in terms of quality, like, they've got good players, but they're not the they're not the team that they used to be and even with Joe Schmidt on board mm. I've always felt that the fact that they're changing coaches after the tournament is kind of hanging over them Yeah, it feels a bit odd doesn't it that whole thing and, yeah. and it also feels a little bit it, it doesn't feel that there's um, uh, can content in that camp. The Joe Schmidt thing, I'll always remember that image of him being in the background and going to shake hands with his fellow coaches and being snubbed. Um, mm. you know, it just doesn't sit right with me, that whole coaching setup at the moment in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, and you look at us, you know, our, South Africa, I know Jack Dinovar is leaving, but he and Razi Rasmus are so tight. That, that South African setup is very tight. They're obviously the champions. You'd have doubts about their their um, their out half, but he played very well last night. Manny Libok, you know, mm. have doubts doubts about I, but the doubt I had you know, we were carrying Sia Khaleesi gone over but like he looks like he, he hasn't had a cruise ship you know, yeah. uh, repair in the last four months it's, it's, it's been amazing miraculous yeah. um, like Ireland are so tight they're, they're, they're just building nicely they're being quiet but they're, they're building nicely France are so cohesive and you know there's a big sense over here that there's a that they're building towards something and obviously that brings pressure I just don't get the same sense with New Zealand yeah. I think they're all the teams that are trying to put it together late in the day are, are, are chasing you know like England are, are all over the place Australia haven't won a game all year um, Argentina are coming together a bit but and they're all on the same side of draw Wales the same thing and New Zealand are a little bit further on the line than those teams but they had so much change during the, the the four years that puts them at a disadvantage against the three teams who've put together a really impressive World Cup cycle now it all could fall apart in the next eight weeks but everything we know really shows that, that that's that's probably not going to be the case and the, the teams that have that cohesion and that spirit and everything that, that that's built over the four years is going to stand for them. So, um, yeah, so the, the warm-ups have kind of confirmed a lot of that kind of thinking for me. Mm, I, I, I think that's a very, very fair assessment and I wouldn't uh, disagree with anything you've said there. Again, we saw red card last night. It seems to be factor of every game now it's kind of getting uh, a little bit monotonous and, and, and it's been a bit of a shambles is the word I'd use in the in the most uh, recent weeks with all of the red card debates and Scott Barrett getting another one last night uh, you feel because of what's gone on in the last number of weeks three game minimum there would there? Yeah well, I mean Scott Barrett even if, if they hadn't upgraded you know in the bunker you know that was the second yellow and it was such a city challenge like that's that's only on him, you know, mm. like to dive on a guy on the ground when you're on a yellow, like, we're more used to it in football. People seen getting second yellows, but you know not to make a stupid challenge in football when, you, when you're when you on a yellow and when you do, it's your own fault. Like, how, like players do need to learn, like, whether, whether they, this punishment thing is working in terms of cutting out the kind of high shots, like, it doesn't seem to be, but I don't understand why these highly trained, highly paid professional rugby players who whose job it is to go and perform haven't adapted to the laws as they're being refereed and I think it's one thing Ireland have done really well they, 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 you know, they made my words tonight against Samoa but they, their tackle technique is, is one uh, among the best if not mm. the best and the Southern Hemisphere team Southern Hemisphere countries seem to be resistant to the idea of it and they're arguing for a 10 minute sorry 20 minute red card but until that comes in it's not. It's a twenty-eight minute red card. So if you do get yourself sent off, which with with poor technique, you're 
they're gone now like there's obviously luck involved that, but you know when you see dive on a player on the ground and a ruck like you did last night you're leaving yourself open and yeah. I, fi- I find that baffling that professional coaches haven't got that message through across the board I, I do think Ireland have done that quite well you don't see it that often with them France have done it pretty well as well again but Maybe it's the teams that have more have more time to drill these things in, and but like Leinster, Munster, you, you you generally don't get as many red cards with those teams. Discipline since Joe was here, discipline has been such a focus for Irish teams. Um, I don't know if you could always say that, but it's it, it's something they've adapted to. So like we do have to get used to it. But, you know, the, the Owen Farrell thing left the cloud. They got the decision right in the end, but it took two weeks. But um, it is going to be a major factor this World Cup. A red card will decide a quarter or a semi, maybe even the final. We saw it in. Go back to 2011 when yeah. forward were sent off for that tip tackle. So, yeah, well, Rory, uh, you know, on that, I mean, even going back to my day, I think the attitude here, let's say in Ireland, even going back to, and we're going back a long time, but I mean, discipline was hugely part of it. So, very early in, in, in professionalism in Irish rugby, it was identified that, um, you know, y- you don't win matches with 14 players. If you get sent off or if you get yellow carded for periods of time in the game, the likelihood is that your team is going to lose. And uh, it, uh, um, you know, th- th- there was repercussions for that. So I saw players being left out of squads for their ill-discipline mm. and their and their lack of it. Now, that doesn't seem to be the case with other nations, for whatever reason. As you said, France are kind of adapting to it a little bit better and um, uh, that. But, I mean, if you take on Farrell, a, a serial offender in, 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 on evidence, you know, yet is constantly included in squads there, there's no repercussion and equally so and I don't want to use his name only because it, it's there's many more like that but equally so um, with the disciplinary process you're entering in pleas of good character and mitigation and everything else I mean it really should just be black and white high shot to the head it's four games none of this going in at four could be 12 reduced down to six like it is what it is, you know. If there's a, yeah. if you're if you committed a driving offence, the offence, the fine is four points and X fine, and that's it. I, I, I think they just need to make it more rigid and take away all this because it's just not getting through the way things are at the moment. Yeah, and like Scott Barrett, Scott Barrett will have a similar thing to Farrell. He's he's had a few red cards for similar things in mm. the last two years. You know, say Bundy, Rocky, and Irish example. Not to make it just about all Farrell, but. I agree with you. I, I just think, um, like, if you look at FIFA, as far as I'm aware, they they just ban players. They, you know, a player gets a red card, he gets three games or or whatever it is, and and there's no real route to appeal. Why is it like? Why is it a legal process? You know, yeah. why is there barristers in the room? Why is exactly. it not just you get an email saying you were sent off last weekend, you're banned for three games, yeah. and you have to take it? It seems that's, straightforward that's, that's to me. Rules of the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's rather than these eight-hour hearings that with barristers legaling. Um, the minutiae of the referee's report and you know like I, I, you know, reporting on this stuff like you end up like refreshing World Rugby's website just waiting for them to bring this stuff out because you know it started at 8am but it's 6pm you know deadlines yeah. are getting tight what are they talking about it's, you can like, see what, it on video but they send out well, sometimes they send out the the, the, the transcripts and so we got the, the full transcript of the Johnny not the transcript but the report from Sexton's band hmm. and like the, the level of detail that his barrister went into like and the amount of errors he was doing, the amount he must have cost the RFU, you know, like this, this it's, it's just a, to me, it's a convoluted process. Yeah, very much. It should much be so. much more straightforward, and it should be much more difficult to appeal because the, the system should be the system, and. and it should be trusted. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, enough talk of red cards. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> Ireland versus Samoa. Um, 
this is one of these games that you're you're kind of holding your breath for until it's over because the Samoans are so physical. Uh, Ireland can't afford. There's still lads trying to um, maybe make a last ditch effort or cement their place. Um, you know, the, 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 the squad announcement has been brought forward 24 hours. It's now going to be announced on Sunday. Um, what do you make it to tonight's game? Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm over in, in the Ritz right now. I'll be in Bayonne tonight. It's, it's a great... I don't know if you ever got to play there. It's, it's, it's a, a really... They've done a nice job in the stadium. It's about 13,000 capacity. It's sold out. The locals are, are really into it. Like the, the World Cup's not coming this way, so they're, this is as close as they're going to get to it. And they've, they've gone on board. Obviously, a few Irish holidaymakers who are making their way as well. But... Um, I think it's an interesting team that he's picked. I think Samoa look pretty good as well. And while they are physical, I'm not expecting anything like the 07 battle that they are. You know, they're, yeah. like, they're not loose cannons. They're professional players who want to play the World Cup themselves. And they'll be aware of everything we've already talked about. So, you know, they're not going to be going out like doing crazy stuff. I, I don't think... Because they don't want to get banned themselves. They not, you know, they're, 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 this is too big for them. And, and they've... They put together a very good coaching ticket as well. So I'm all, they've they've got Andrew Goodman on board. Salaya Mapasu is in charge. They've got Tano Maga behind the scenes as well. Mm. They've got a couple of former All Blacks under the World Rugby Eligibility rules. Uh, Christian Aliyafana, former Aussie um, internationals on the bench as well. So like Liam Sopawaga, the ten, he he was a very good All Black a couple of years ago. And they've got some really good players who play for really good clubs like UJ Satini is, is there you know the La Rochelle Centre scored against Leinster in the final but not to give bad memories for Leinster fans listening but they, like they're a good side and I think Andy Farrell really wants to be tested physically I don't think he wants any injuries obviously but two weeks out their warm-up games have been a bit easy you know England didn't really bring anything to Viva a couple of years ago didn't really stress them Italy were okay but that was that, that was a long way out I think he wants a good game think they're going to win I think, I think he knows the squad like, I, I, if he needed to you name it today and I don't think it would change much barring an injury over the weekend so yeah. um, he's brought it forward obviously I think that's just to kind of limit the chances of it getting out but also to just kind of not leave the players in this limbo where they know they're not going but they can't tell anyone so um, I think it's going to be an interesting game it, it's still you know like last night was a bit blockbuster with you know all that Twickenham these are still a little bit off Broadway, but I think Ireland likes the fact that they're just building nicely into this tournament. They don't have their their biggest test up first. They play Romania, who are very poor. Tonga, who they should beat before they go to the the, the big ones against South Africa and Scotland. So they've got a little bit more wiggle room to improve in the tournament. And hmm. um, so yeah, like it's 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 going to be. I think it'll be a good game to watch. Unless the forecast isn't great, it's been really hot all week, but it's, it's forecast to rain tonight. But I think Samoa would be good. I watched a bit of their game against Barbarians last week, and it'll be a good hit out for Ireland. Yeah, um, the other concern that a lot of Irish fans had, of course, is the hooker situation. Um, she and Ann Keller are both uh, carrying knocks and niggles, and it was uh, there was a lot of negative talk early in the week. It has to be said, a lot of doom and gloom. But um, the message from Andy Farrell seems to be a lot better towards the end of the week, and they're uh, tipped to be okay. Yeah, we don't know when it'll be okay. You know, it's, I, I, I would suspect we're not going to see him before South Africa at the earliest but they, they, they'll they take him anyway because he's such an important player he's, you know, he's a, I had a professional coach text me during the week to say he's Ireland's only X-factor player which is probably a, a little bit harsh than some of the other players but he, like he is able to do things in you know like the Grand Slam game he gets two tries the tries he got against La Rochelle in that final like he's just an outstanding blue player and it would be an awful shame for him firstly if he didn't get to show his talents at the big show you know that that would be terrible but they're they're saying that everyone 
in the squad will be fit to travel. So Jack Conan, you know, got injured against Scotland with a similar problem to, to Sheehan. They say he's going to be okay to go. Kilcoyne will be okay to go, although I think he's probably the one who might be in trouble. From what I'm hearing, just little, little whispers. Um, Keller is going to be okay. Andy Farrell said he could have played if this was a kind of World Cup semi-final, but there's no point in risking him against Samoa. And then Sheehan, they're going to carry, even though I don't think he'll be available for the first couple of games. So, that, that makes it a bit more straightforward although it, there's, a, there's a case to be made for maybe cutting a scrum half and bringing four hookers like Tom Stewart starting tonight you know once you get over there you can't like you can't bring you can't replace a player unless they're injured or um, so if if they're if they if they need to they, but they've got some room there with Keane Healy being able to, to play hooker you could put him on the bench against Romania for example if you were just weren't sure about Keller and you'd be fine because Romania are quite poor like they were the, the, the scrum have thrown into line out of the training this week they're covered up every, every avenue so um, it sounds pretty good but I've learned over years never to quite trust an RSU uh, injury update there's mm. always something going on behind the scenes like Sexton hasn't trained a couple of times this week I presume that's because they're you know he's on a longer time frame he didn't need to risk him the key girls had a training yesterday you just never not quite know what's going on but um the information we have at the moment is that they'll be fit and I suspect they'll go with three if Kelleher's that close they'll risk him. Hmm. And what about other splits? I mean, there's all the questions of which way he's going to split it. What, what's your own thoughts on it? Who's who's likely to miss out, do you think? My thought is that he's going to go 18-15 in terms of back, uh, forwards and backs, which would mean that Keane uh, Prendergast would miss out and Stuart McCloskey and Keith Earls would travel. Um, so, you know, Frawley and Stockdale, I think the writing's on the wall for them that they weren't selected this weekend. Um, and the fact that he started both McCloskey and Earls signals to me that he's going that way to me it looks like this is the team or close to the team that will play against Tonga in round two I think the the first choice team you know will, will probably start against around Sexton against Romania just to give a big start to this World Cup big Irish crowd big score a bit of a celebration and get a bit of momentum behind them then rotate it for this one you know you know, sorry for Tonga bring in a team that looks a little bit like this with these combinations you know it's the second time Henshaw and Matuski have played with each other you know, Jimmy O'Brien's playing a scrum half, sorry, a fullback for the second time like he did against Italy. Um, you know, there's a few bits there that signal maybe what Andy Farrell's thinking in terms of the World Cup. So that's the way I'd be thinking with it. There's obviously room for a shock, but I think he said it during the week that like he's he's been sure on whether he's taken eighteen fifteen or nineteen fourteen ever since he, he came into camp at the start. I don't think anything in these warm up games has really changed the way he's been thinking. The only thing that could change that is an injury. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what way that goes. I suppose just to finish then, um, we leave Ireland out of this because we're, we'll be talking with our hearts a lot in this and we are very confident with our heads as well, to be fair. They're a very good team. They're um, and Without injury, um, we'd be very, very confident of Ireland, so we leave them out of this. But uh, South Africa seemed to have shot right up there to the top for you in terms of other teams that... Um, uh, are, are likely to lift the trophy uh, so probably South Africa and France would you be going with those two? Yeah like I do think Ireland are really really in this and mm. the best two teams of the World Cup cycle were Ireland and France and obviously that doesn't count for anything necessarily but it does give you a great faith I would th- still think France are ahead of everyone um, maybe not Ireland but I think Ireland might be ahead of France but France are at home and that gives them something Intangible that they that will lift them throughout this tournament. There was a great excitement over here going into it. So I would still put France. I mean, they're playing Australia on Sunday. They've been a really strong team. I know they've lost them to Mac, but they Hastoy and Jalabert are both really good players. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a, it's not a disaster for them. 
in the way that might be for other countries. So I think South Africa showed a lot of their hand last night. It was very impressive. You know, the key is try not to let them into your 22 because the All couldn't get out of their 22 for most of our first half. And don't get sent, the man sent off against them either. But um, yeah, I would think it's going to be, as I said at the start, I think Ireland, South Africa and France are the, are the three strongest teams in the tournament. If you're taking Ireland out of the equation, and I do think Ireland could win it, um, France are my favourites. Um, and I think everyone else is a bit behind those teams. Absolutely. Well, I'll agree with you. I think Ireland are um, by far the best team in it uh, at the moment. Okay, it's time for football now. I'm delighted to be joined by Aaron Clark of the Women's National League show. Good morning, Aaron. How are you? morning not too bad yourself not too bad not too bad at all um been an interesting week no doubt about it uh, across the board football and again more news coming out in the women's uh, world football spain women's squad they won't play until say they won't play until the federation president is removed luis ribales insists um he will not step down after kissing jennifer hermoso uh, during the world cup trophy presentation this story is uh, gathering uh, more and more speed it seemed at the time to be something that um, you know wouldn't cause that big of a stir but uh, it's, it certainly has done now it caused a massive stir and I think the biggest thing about it is the fact that you've also seen players from other countries big names in women's football that have sort of rolled in behind and I think I think it's a, it's, it's quite a I would say a, a coincidental story in the sense that Gianni Fertino last week only told women's footballers at a press conference to take their battles carefully I think the comments now are sort of having a bit of a, a stir as well in the in the women's game, especially because it was literally a day, a day or so after that happened. And then, like when it happened, you're sort of thinking, "Oh no!" Hmm. The, the, you, you sort of knew it was going to blow up. And then the way the Spanish FA are sort of just doubling down, tripling down on their statements and stuff like that, it's sort of becoming a bit of a he said, she said. But the problem is, is there was problems there before the World Cup, especially with a couple of players who, event, who stayed away. At one stage, there was 15 Spanish players who refused to play for Spain due to an issue with the management and, and stuff they'd raised with standards and things like that. So this has been brewing for a couple of years. And the fact that her, um, the, the president is also very good, has a good relationship with the manager as well, it sort of... It was never going to help. It was always going to be an, a damaging situation. And I think the fact that FIFA have opened up a, a, an ethics case against them as well, I, I suspect UEFA maybe maybe next to do it. He is also a vice president of UEFA as well. I think he will eventually. He will eventually have to go. I think he's trying to fight on as long as he can. Like you've seen clubs come out. You've seen players like Hector Bellerin come out and sort of say it's not good enough. This sort of thing can't be happening. When you start to see the male counterparts coming out saying that you know you're on your last legs and as much as he's biting down and trying to fight back I can't see him st- I can't see him staying because realistically with the with, the, with the, the growth of what's happening in women's football now there's too much pressure on him to he won't be able to survive this story I don't think yeah absolutely but I mean I suppose the uh, the pressure is on there's no question about that the question will be then uh, w- what will it mean what will the knock on effects of that? this mean if uh, you know if there is a step down is it going to be a situation then when you've got where you've got men who are saying well I'm not going to get involved in coaching women's rugby or football should I say sorry uh, or, or you know is it going to have a knock on effect in other ways too you're always asking the questions of the balance here because um, 
it's you, you do sometimes feel that maybe it can get to the point where uh, some men just might turn around and, and say well you know what I, I can't take the risks here it, one step wrong and uh, there's going to be a worldwide thing about it and you know this is this is wrong in in, in, in many people's eyes and way, what has happened here so is there likely to be a very negative knock-on effect could it backfire? Fair question. It's a fair question to ask. I don't. I don't think so. I think, mm. I think the biggest thing from a from a male viewpoint, and especially being around women's football for so long, is you know your you, you got to know your boundaries. You yeah. got to know what boundaries you can and you can and can't cross. And I think that was something that you know boundaries. Were, I don't think you yeah, even consider things like boundaries. But like, I think that's the one thing with a lot of with a lot of people. But like, the, the thing about women's football is is that. The opportunities that are going to be there for coaches that maybe even male coaches that weren't there a couple of years, a couple of years ago, I, th- I think the the yeah, the so-called risk will be out, out, outweighed by the rewards that will that will be available. But people just need to be on, need to be on their guard. The biggest thing I'll say about women women's footballers is is that they're so receptive to coaching, they're so receptive to instructions and things like that. But once you just know your boundaries, I think I think, I think people will people will be fine with that. I just think this was just one of these one of these instances. It was it was it was sad that it happened because it's it's marred and overshadowed a great what victory, a, yeah. a, an unbelievable victory for for Spain. And, and considering not many people really gave them a hope as well, so it's just, it's put a, it's put a dampener on it. And like if you if you if you look from a player viewpoint, it's probably been hard to fully celebrate it because this has been going on in, in the background as well. So. I don't think it'll have a, a massive knock-on effect from, from that sense. Like, yeah. thankfully, we haven't seen many major incidences of, of things like this yeah. in in the women's game. So. Yeah, and for those for those who may say, look, you know, it wasn't meant or there wasn't anything, the reality is uh, these women felt uncomfortable, they felt unsafe, and it, it shouldn't have happened. You know, they shouldn't be put in a position where they feel, you know, that they can't go about their day-to-day um Work or jobs without without feeling well, uh, having to watch their backs or be careful the whole time. So you know it, it alleviates that, and I think that's the real argument on it. Hundred percent, and I think like I think it may not have been a big as big a storm if the other issues that were being lingering in Spain hadn't hadn't been there for the yes. last number of years. It may not have been as big of an issue, but I think it's just been a culmination of everything that's gone on in the last couple of years in Spain that it's, it's really come to a head. And I think that's probably what's blown it even more. As much as it was uncomfortable for for the player as well, but like I just think everything has sort of come together in one big bubble and it sort of exploded. Absolutely, as as I saw it quoted during the week, um, this is the Spanish uh, Me Too moment for the women's football, is how it was put. So um, they're making a stand, and you can fully understand and see why that's the case. Okay, we'll move on from that now and have a look at the SSC uh, Electricity League. Uh, got a text there from Garod C, a happy drug supporter. Uh, after they got victory last night um, and pushed them out of that relegation zone, uh, a good win. Really, really, really good win. For yeah. Fredra, like you look, you look at that one against Cork. That could have, that could have been really went either way. It's sort of Cork are trying to inch their way back, inch their way away out of the playoff, and for draw to like to, to get a three, a three one win at Weaver Park against, against Cork, it, it gives them confidence. It gives them. An, Ability to push on, like we all know, UCD, UCD are gone, and it's, it's a matter of a case of who's going to fill that second playoff spot. Mm. And, and I think for, for draw the wins against the likes of Cork is, is is vital to try and just continue to push up up that table. Like they're now above Sligo Rovers as well. 
although they're eight points behind Shell, getting up off Sligo was as massive for them. Gives them that little bit of breathing room. And I, I don't think Kev Doherty and and Derek Oil get the credit that they deserve it. I draw the United with a part-time squad. What they're doing to have won eight games this season, I think they deserve an awful lot of credit. Yeah. Absolutely, and it, it, it was a really strong result. And as you said, you know, it just gives them that little bit of breathing space. Maybe they can express themselves a bit more in the in the latter games. Uh, other interesting results as well. Rovers getting the job done against Dundalk, but just the one nil victory. Um, you know, but they're cementing their t- t- place at the top of the table. Rovers are very Rovers is a, Rovers is a, is, a, is a strange one because when they start the season off so slow. People are sort of saying, "Oh, is this Rovers? T- is this Rovers team on the on the decline?" Then they go into a little bit of a, a purple patch, and now all of a sudden they're back to where they're limping over the line. They're scraping results. They're they're struggling to get wins at times, and it's it's a it's a weird one. There's no doubt that the Rovers' defence is, is a massive is a massive issue for Stephen Bradley at the minute. Up top, they've they've got quality. The likes of Rory Gaffney putting in a shift week in week out for them. I think the win against Dundalk. I think it's it's a vital win just because of the fact that Pat's picked up the Pat's picked up the win and and with Derry playing with Derry playing balls as well and like for them it's going to be a case of can they see it can they see it out because I I definitely think they are going to drop points again and I think they're going to drop points probably a couple of times but it's just a matter of when they drop points do they get punished for dropping them points and mm. like at times. You see, sometimes they haven't been punished. Like if you look in, in the last in the last five games, twice they've drawn, two of the times they've drawn, both Derry and Cor- Derry and Derry and Rowe and, and Pats have drawn at the same time as well. Hmm. So it's sort of they've got out of, out of trouble at that stage. So it's a case of will they get out of trouble when they drop points again? And I think there's no doubt about it. Rovers are favourites for the league, but it's going to be probably the most difficult one for them to win in, in recent years. Yeah, you're right in what you're saying. It is always a case of the draws come in at the right time for them. Like even that Derry, uh, that Derry team, a lot were expected of them at the start of the season. I remember talking down the call about it, and they're just kind of failing at crucial moments. Like Bows are a very good team, but you know you would have maybe expected. Derry to get a result there and a two-all draw, uh, they'll see that as a bit of a failing. I know they have a game in hand, so they could push themselves back up uh, at the table a little bit more. But I think Derry have uh, not impressed as much as many might would have thought at the beginning of the season. They could, they could do. Yeah, you're, you're you're right in what you're saying there, especially considering the types of players that they, they yeah. brought in. They brought in at that stage as well, and when they go one 0 down the bows. And then sort of equalise and go two two one up. You're sort of saying, okay, you maybe expect them to to kick, to kick on and see it out. But I think for, from a dairy viewpoint, the last couple of weeks have been very tough. They lose the European game last Thursday on penalties. Then they lose the FAI Cup on penalties against against Pats. I think for them, the draw probably stops the rot a little bit because there was a, a bit of a a worry that if they lost that game against Bowes, could they then go on and have sort of a, another run where they they lose another couple. There's no doubt, and I've said this a number of times, that I think the pitch in in, in, the, in the Brandywell is, a, is another thing that's sort of holding them back because, like, like in Oriel Park, it's it's that bad that it's it's difficult for them, and I think it's as difficult for them as it is for the opposition. And like they're getting so many injuries with, from that, which doesn't help, and that's probably been a, a big a big thing from from their viewpoint that why they haven't kicked on because hmm. you look you look at the likes of Colin Whelan, come back from an ACL come back from an ACL last year. Back for I think it was back for two games. Does it does it again? And then you're sort of like big players like that they brought in from UCD who was scoring gold, and that's sort of been their biggest Achilles heel is they haven't been able to keep everybody fit, and 
that's probably why they haven't impressed as much this year, Reggie, as, as, they, as they probably should have. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend. <laughs>